Last week we talked about the fact that ultimately the greatest form of blessing is being a blessing to others. That God blesses us not so that we can be sort of a warehouse, but he blesses us so that we can be a distribution center. And that as he blesses us, we pass that blessing on to others. And by doing so, we experience the fullness of what it means to be blessed by God. You're blessed coming and going. Now we looked at Abraham and Sarah last week and we talked about how God does this and that Abraham had the chance uh, to be a blessing and God and two angels stopped by Abraham and Sarah's tent and Abraham had the chance to invite them in and to show hospitality to them. And then God and the two angels sort of lingered around Abraham before they went down to Sodom uh, so they could invite Abraham into being a blessing by interceding and praying for his nephew Lot. Now that's really cool, but perhaps like me, last week you might be thinking about that story. Well, that's great, but I mean, Abraham, he kind of lives in the rural area. He lives sort of where not very many people are around. He's in a tent and yeah, of course, who doesn't want to show hospitality to God? Like if you're going to invite a good house guest, God's a good one to invite. <clears throat> and man, if you're going to be a blessing, it's super easy, challenging, but easy to just be a blessing in prayer. Abraham doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to interact with his neighbors. He doesn't have to put up with bad house guests. I mean, it's not that hard to be a blessing to others when the people that you are showing blessing to is God and two angels. What about us? I mean, we live in a city. It's hard to be a blessing in a city like this. Maybe you go to a public school and people there don't even want you to use the word blessing. Maybe you're in a non-Christian workplace and you feel the sort of not just lack of Christian presence, but almost an antagonism towards Christianity. Maybe in the culture in which we live, you feel the very sort of anti-Jesus anti-Christian nature of the culture as it becomes more and more in opposition to what it means to be a Christian. How are we supposed to be a blessing in the city? How are we supposed to be a blessing when we're around people who are difficult to invite into our homes? How are we supposed to be a blessing to people who don't want to be blessed or think they don't want to be blessed? Well, this morning we have an opportunity to talk about how you and I can be a blessing to others in the city in which we live with all of its challenges, with all of its difficulties, with all of its sin. We're gonna be looking in just a moment at the story of Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, living in the city of Sodom. Now, Sodom is notorious for being anti-God, for being unconcerned about God's rules, about what God wants, and we're gonna take a look at Lot living in the midst of that city and he's there to be a blessing. And what we see him doing is the same thing God wants us doing, living in Grand Rapids, living in America, living in the culture in which we find ourselves. Now, before we turn to the passage that we're gonna look at, let me just say up front: this morning we're gonna leave aside the question as to whether or not Lot should have been living in Sodom in the first place? It's a good question. It has a lot to do with uh, listening for guidance from God about how we make decisions about where to live. Are we, basis, are we basing our decisions of where we're gonna live on what our eyes see, what our hearts desire? Are we basing them on where God leads us? It's an important question, but we're leaving that aside for this morning because 
The truth of the matter is Lot is living in Sodom. That's where he lives and God has him in Sodom. Whether Lot went there on his own initiative or God sent him there, God wants Lot to be a blessing to the people around him. Likewise, we're leaving aside the question, should you be in the school that you're in? Should you be at the workplace that you're at? Should you have moved to Grand Rapids for the reasons you moved to Grand Rapids? Those are important questions, but we're not talking about them today. The truth of the matter is you are in the school that you are in. You are in the work environment that you are in. You are living in this city and how, regardless of how you got here, God means for you and I to be a blessing to the people around us. How do we do that? Well, let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19, if you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love if you just borrow one from the rack in front of you. It's page 13 in those Bibles is Genesis chapter 19. We're going to be looking together at how we can be a blessing to those around us, especially living in a culture that is antithetical towards Christianity, not interested in God, not wanting or following Jesus. So just to set the context, last week, God and two angels visited Abraham and while God and Abraham are having a conversation and Abraham is praying and interceding for Lot in, in the city of Sodom, the two angels leave the conversation and they go down to Sodom. And we pick up the story in verse one of chapter 19. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Now here Lot is showing hospitality to these two men. He doesn't know they're angels at this point. He just sees them as two strangers who are coming into the city of Sodom. And he's sitting at the gate and sees an opportunity to be hospitable. He wants to be a blessing to others. Now the thing that is strange to me as I read this is that he's the only one who's inviting them to his house. You think, well, you live in a city, there'd be other people who would also be at the city gate. And when two strangers come in who need a place to stay, you would think there would be other people who would also be like, no, no, you can come stay at our house. It's especially strange to me, given the Arab culture that I grew up in. Hospitality was a big deal. And when family would come to town, there was always a lot of jostling and arguing and sort of pushing back and forth among family who lived here to see who got to have the people coming to town stay with them. It was a big deal to have people come and stay with you to be able to show hospitality to them. And so I read this and I think, well, where's the jostling? Where's the arguing? Where are the other people in Sodom who are all fighting to have these two people come and stay with them? Well, there isn't any. And that's because what's implicit in Genesis 19 is made explicit 
in Exodus, or sorry, in Ezekiel, when God explains why it is that he destroyed Sodom. This is what God says in Ezekiel 16. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor. Sodom was a notoriously inhospitable city. They weren't worried about strangers. They weren't worried about foreigners. They weren't worried about the poor and the oppressed. They were only concerned about themselves. And so here is Lot living in an extremely inhospitable city. And what does he do to be a blessing to people around him? He shows hospitality. Lot, in fact, looks a lot more like his uncle Abraham than he does the people in the city in which he's lived. I find it fascinating to think that probably for lunch that day, these two angels went to Abraham's tent. He compelled them to come in and to have their feet washed and to eat lunch. And then their dinner meal, they show up in Sodom and here's his nephew doing the exact same thing, compelling them, come and stay with me. Here's water, wash your feet. And then Lot feeds them dinner. It can't be lost on those two angels that they had lunch with Abraham and dinner with Lot. And here Lot is being a blessing just like his uncle Abraham showing hospitality to people who are in need. But as much as there is similarities, there's also some nuances that are slightly different with what Lot is doing. And I think they have to do with the fact of the role of hospitality in the rural areas of life and the role of hospitality in the city. You see, in rural areas, Hospitality is extremely important because physical needs are at the forefront. If you come to a house and they don't feed you, there may not be another house for miles and miles. You could actually starve to death. If you come to a house in the country and they don't give you shelter, there may not be any place to get shelter in the country. And so where Abraham is living out in more rural regions that are less populated, the focus of hospitality is especially on the physical needs that need to be met. But in the city, it's slightly different. Physical needs are still important. But these two men could stay in the city square. There is a place for them. Even in Grand Rapids, you can find shelter. You can find food. And so in the city, hospitality is not just about physical needs. It's also about emotional needs. These men need to be welcomed. They need to not feel like strangers. Yes, they might be able to stay in the square and yes, they may not starve to death, but they need to know that they are welcomed and that they are loved. The culture in which we live, I feel like more and more resonates with what Ezekiel said. You can look around in America and I'm afraid the accusation fits for us too, doesn't it? Arrogant overfed, unconcerned. I feel like we're becoming less hospitable as a culture to refugees, to people coming, immigrants from other countries, to people who are poor and oppressed, that we're only concerned about ourselves. But the church is supposed to be different. We're supposed to be a blessing and this is the first way to be a blessing living in a city like we live in is to exercise this kind of hospitality. 
One of my favorite things at Calvary Church that we've done recently is God has given us the opportunity to do ministry to refugees who are here from Syria or Afghanistan or other countries. In fact, not this past Wednesday because we got snowed out, but the Wednesday before that, I was sitting in the gathering place on Wednesday night eating dinner and just watching sort of the church family uh, engage and eat dinner. And it was a really beautiful thing. And I saw a family here from another country that Calvary has been caring for. And they were sitting at one of those long tables in the gathering place. And it was beautiful. Beautiful. Albert, uh, one of the uh, persons here at Calvary, came in. And I just kind of watched him from afar. And he went and greeted that family. And he walked around the table. And he kissed each of the kids right on the top of their head. And I thought, what a beautiful, warm thing to do. This is how you be a blessing to others. In your school. The kid who showed up to school may have enough food to eat, but probably needs someone to sit with them at lunch. That family in your neighborhood that just moved in, yes, they have a house. Yes, they have an apartment. They have some place to stay. But they need to be welcomed. You can invite them to you, come with you. You can be part of the refugee ministry we have here at Calvary Church. You can be part of the international student ministry. You can invite someone to come uh, go to Alpha with you to be part of what's going on here. You and I have the opportunity to be a blessing. We live in a city and whereas the physical needs may not be as much to the forefront, that just emphasizes the emotional and the social needs that we have the opportunity to warmly welcome people, to show them uh, that we're glad that they're alive and that Jesus loves them. There's a second way in which Lot is a blessing or is at least meant to be a blessing to the city of Sodom, verses four and following. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. Ezekiel tells us it was not just in hospitality that God destroyed Sodom. There was a second reason. Verse 50 says, they were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore I did away with them as you have seen. The context of Ezekiel 16 as well as the Hebrew word that is used for detestable tells us he's talking about detestable sexual things that they're doing. That in Sodom, God's plan for sexuality had been thrown out the window. That everybody was doing exactly what they saw fit in their own eyes. How Lot was meant to be a blessing to the city of Sodom is he was supposed to show them a different way to live sexually. That the rules that God has given with regards to sex are meant to bless us. And those who were breaking those rules were experiencing the curse of sin. And so Lot is there to show them or is meant to show them a different way. And on this, we have to give him mixed results. On one hand, 
Uh, kudos to Lot. He refuses to allow his guests to be dragged into the detestable sexual things that the city wants to do with him. It even says in 2 Peter 2 that Lot was vexed in his heart at the kinds of sexual practices that he was around all of the time in the city of Sodom. And the Lord appreciated just how difficult it was for Lot living in that city and seeing and hearing all of the detestable things that he did. So on that line, good job to Lot. We also think we find out that he's got two daughters and that both of these girls are virgins, which is surprising given the city that they're living in and the fact that they're engaged to men from Sodom. So it seems like Lot has done a good job helping his daughters follow after Jesus's requirements of no sex before marriage. So again, we think that Lot was a blessing in that way. It's a mixed bag because what he does with his daughters, offering them to the crowd, this is horrific. This is unconscionable. There is no way that anybody would ever think God would ever approve of anything like this. This is not done in faith. It's done out of total fear. It is not done out of love for his daughters. It's done out of love for himself. In fact, if you read the chapter, when you get to the end of the chapter, there's also a really uncomfortable sexual interaction between Lot and his daughters. And you come to realize that while Lot in some ways has resisted the sexualized nature of the culture in which he lives, there are also ways in which he's given into it and sadly reaps the consequences of that. In America, we are currently living in a very sexualized culture. There are statistics for everything. The ones that I looked up were from 2018. And the 2018 statistics in America in 2018, 60 million people were addicted to pornography. 60 million people. Not just viewing it, addicted to it. That's a lot of people. In 2018, uh, it was 26 million people who that year had newly, uh, new sexually transmitted infections. And about half that number was in people aged 15 to 24. Shockingly, the United States, along with Mexico and the Philippines, are the three worst offending countries when it comes to sex trafficking. The United States, Mexico, and the Philippines, the worst countries for enslaving people for sexual pleasure. And it's super sobering living in the state of Michigan that the two worst college sex abuse scandals in history happened at Michigan State University and the University of Michigan that the two big public universities in our state are the worst offenders that have been caught so far. We live in Sodom. It is an incredibly sexually detestable society in which we live. And we have to admit that the church, Christians, we're a lot like Lot. We got some things that we're gonna get kudos from the Lord for doing well. Some of us are indeed vexed at what is going on in the culture around us. 
it was really interesting in that statistical study about uh, people, men and women, who are addicted to pornography. The group who was the low, who who sort of showed up the best in being addicted the least, was Protestant Christians who regularly attend, weekly attend, theologically conservative churches. But that was the group that was doing the best in the fight against pornography. So well done to the Christian church for that. But it's also true that sex abuse scandals are not limited to public universities in the state of Michigan. That churches and Christian schools are some of the worst offenders that there are. This is not how it was meant to be. God has placed us in a highly sexualized culture so that we can show the city around us there is a different way to live. That this was not God's intention. Just yesterday, in fact, in the Wall Street Journal, in the review section, there was an article about the fact that they were recommending or they found that people who uh, got married in their 30s and later uh, got divorced less than people who got married in their 20s except for one group. And that was the group that didn't cohabitate together. (laughs) That if you were not living with somebody, it was good to get married earlier. And if you are or have been living with people, then if you got married early on, you were more likely to get divorced. And one of the people in our family, when they read that article, we made it mandatory reading (laughs) in our family, commented, well, I guess God knows what he's doing. by telling people not to live together before marriage. We're here to show the world there's a better way to do this. Doing this God's way leads to blessing. And so Lot had the opportunity, and so do you and I, to live in a highly sexualized culture and to live differently because that will be a blessing. Now the response of the culture may be the same as it was to Lot, which they said to him, what made, who made you the judge? And you and I may be accused of being judgmental. We're not here to judge. We're here to be a blessing. We're here to show a different path, a path that leads towards blessing and honor. There's a third way that Lot is meant to be a blessing in the city of Sodom. Verse 10 and following. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. Lot's meant to be a blessing in the city of Sodom because he knows that Sodom is going to be destroyed by fire. And so he has the opportunity to go and tell his daughter's fiancés, look, this is coming. You can save yourself. You can be rescued. Now, you can ask the question, should Lot have ever let his daughters get engaged to men from Sodom? Fair enough, but at least he's willing to warn them that destruction is coming. You and I are actually in the exact same situation as Lot. 
We just don't happen to know the timing. This is what Second Peter says about Sodom and Gomorrah and our situation. Can I have the Second Peter 2 passage? Nope. Oh, there it is. God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes. And then look at this next phrase. And made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. There's a reason why God uses fire to destroy Sodom. It's an example. This is a sign of what is coming. You and I are just like Lot. We are living in a city that is going to be destroyed by the judgment of fire. But the crazy thing is, Jesus has already made it possible for every single person in this city, every single person in this country, every single person on this planet to be rescued from the fire that is coming. Think about that. Just think about friends that you know at school. Think about friends that you know at work. Think about other people that you uh, know in your neighborhood or in your family. Picture them in your mind just for a moment, one or two or three of the people that you normally hang out with or that you're around. Fire of destruction is coming, but Jesus has already done everything necessary for those people you are thinking of to be saved. There isn't anything else that has to happen. They just need to know that rescue has come. And yes, it's true. They may laugh at you or may think you're joking. But God put us in the middle of the city with this news so that we could tell people the fires of judgment are coming. They are coming. It is already written. It is going to happen. God has already demonstrated at Sodom what is going to happen to the whole world but he's placed us here to be a blessing. Living in this place so that we can tell people, look, you don't have to be burned. You do not have to go through this. God does not want you to die. He takes no delight and no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And you and I have the responsibility, the privilege of telling people around us that through Jesus, Salvation is possible. There's a final way in which Lot was meant to be a blessing to the city of Sodom, which is the same for us. It's in verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. That doesn't mean he forgot who Abraham was. It just means that he is reminded of the conversation and the prayers that Abraham offered. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot lived. Now, if you go back and you read the verses we skipped over, you'll get the sense that Lot is living in fear. But he's not supposed to be. Lot is connected to Abraham. And Abraham is connected to God. And Abraham has been praying for Lot. And God, who is faithful, hears Abraham's prayers for Lot and is going to rescue Lot, Lot is actually in no danger whatsoever at all. It doesn't mean he's not suffering. It doesn't mean that living in the city of Sodom is not hard. It just means that Lot is never in danger of losing his life. 
God has promised to protect them. In fact, Lot becomes the example in 2 Peter 2 of God saying, look, I know what I'm doing. I know how to punish the wicked and protect the righteous at the same time. Look at how I took care of Lot while I punished the rest of the city. God was saying, I know how to do this thing. Now, if that's Lot's situation, how much better is our situation? We're connected to Jesus. And Jesus is one with the Father. And while Abraham did pray for Lot, do you know what Jesus is doing right now for you and I? In heaven, he is praying for us. There is no way the Father will not listen to that prayer. That if you are a Christian, you are connected to Jesus. And if God listened to Abraham's prayer for his nephew, do you not think that God will listen to Jesus's prayer for those of us who are connected to him and one with him? In this culture, there is an exploding epidemic of anxiety. It is grievous because it's so real. And people are living in anxiety, with anxiety disorders, panic and fear. I know I've had panic attacks. This is a real deal. But you and I get to be a blessing to the culture around us because we can show them. You can live in the city and not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of coming judgment. You don't have to be afraid of how sin might take over things. Lot is safe. He's only uh, judged on the basis of his own actions, not on the actions of the people around him. There is no way Lot is going to get swept away with the city. And there is no way you and I are going to get swept away with the sins of America. And when you and I live in the city, among the people of the city, and we live in a way knowing that we are connected to Jesus and that Jesus is connected to the Father, which makes us safe. That's why what Jake read from Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, you will not drown. That is a promise. God made Abraham a promise he was gonna have a baby and when Abraham and Sarah laughed, God said, is my arm too short to do this? Do you think I cannot pull this off? God has made you and I a promise. If you are a believer in Jesus, when you walk through the waters, you will not drown. And when you go through the fire, you will not be burned. And so when God puts us in a city that is full of water and fire and shows that we don't drown and we don't get burned, we can live in confidence in him. And this is meant to be a blessing to the people around us that fear does not have to be their master. A loving, compassionate, and gracious God longs to protect them and take care of them the same way he's taking care of us. Not eliminating struggles, but making sure that those struggles will not win the day in the end. There's a story I'd like to close with, a true story that kind of summarizes, I think, all that you're supposed to get out of the sermon this morning and thinking about living in a culture that is antithetical towards God and trying to be a blessing in that culture. It's a story of a man named Ken Smith and his wife, Floyd. 
Ken lived in the city of Syracuse, uh, and he was a pastor of Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church back in the late 90s. <clears throat> During that time that Ken was a pastor at that church, an article appeared in the local paper uh, about the Christian movement that was sort of big back then uh, called Promise Keepers. And the article was entitled, Why Promise Keepers is a Threat to Democracy. And it was written by an English and women's studies professor at the University of Syracuse, who also was a committed lesbian and an activist in the gay uh, culture. And she wrote this letter that was uh, very much anti-promise keepers and anti sort of like what they were for. And so uh, Ken read that article and he felt compelled to write a letter to the author. Her name was Rosaria. Well, Rosaria, as you can imagine, got a lot of feedback on that article. And so uh, she got tons and tons of emails and letters and all those things. And so what she did is she created two piles because it was pretty easy to categorize the letters as either hate mail or fan mail. Except for Ken's letter. Ken's letter she described as the kindest letter of opposition she had ever received. So she couldn't put it in the hate mail side because it was super, super kind. She also couldn't put it in the fan mail side because it was in opposition. And so she didn't know how to file this letter. And so she just left it in the middle of her desk and continued to read it and look over it and think, what do I do with this thing? What category do I put it in? Finally, she's so intrigued by this letter that she calls up Ken so she can ask him, what do I do with this? Well, Ken invites her over for dinner. She says she went, and I love this, because she was doing research for a book project at the time that she had entitled Hate Mongers of the Religious Right. And so she was going to do research. So she agreed and accepted the dinner invitation and she went to Ken and Floyd's house and had a very nice dinner with them. They never shared the gospel with her, not that time. And they didn't invite her to church. But they ended up inviting her back to dinner again. And they invited her to dinner once a week for the next two years. And then finally, at the end of the two years, they invited her to church. And she came to church with them. And along the way, in 1999, she became a Christian. And I love the way she described it. These were her words. I was not Ken's project, I was his neighbor. It was not friendship evangelism, it was just friendship. And that through that hospitality, God led Rosaria to faith. She ended up marrying a man uh, who's a pastor, currently in North Carolina. She wrote a book and called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert and her testimony is the first two chapters, I read that book. Uh, she's also subsequently written a book called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's about hospitality. If you serve at Calvary Church in our First Impressions Ministries, we gave everybody a copy of that book last year. They didn't know I'd be sharing this. I didn't know I'd be sharing this story this morning. And I think to myself, she was a blessing to us by writing that book. Ken and Floyd Smith were a blessing to her by inviting her over and showing her hospitality and love and sharing the gospel. Lot was meant to be a blessing 
living in Sodom. Ken and Floyd Smith were also meant to be a blessing, living in their Sodom. You and I are meant to be a blessing living in our Sodom. And may God give us the grace and the encouragement and the endurance to live in the city in which we live with all the stuff going on, the arrogance, the overfed, unconcerned culture, the highly sexualized culture, the culture full of anxiety and dread, and the city and the culture that will, unfortunately, be burned by fire. And God has placed you at your school, at your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, because he wants you to be a blessing. You're not there to bring judgment. You're there to save people from judgment. How do you do it? You just try to love the people you're around. You invite them over to your house. If you're in opposition, write the kindest letter of opposition you can possibly write. Tell them that through Jesus, they don't have to fear the fires of destruction. And encourage them that with Jesus, there is nothing, nothing, nothing at all to fear. Because God's perfect love casts out fear. May the Lord himself give us the strength to do it. Let's pray together. Lord, if it was up to us, we would have just struck Sodom dead. But you were kind enough to put Lot there. And he suffered and struggled, but you had him there for a reason. And Lord, if it was up to us, we would strike American culture dead and Mexican culture and Filipino culture and all the rest of the cultures. But Jesus, you love the whole world. And so you placed us here. And God, if we're honest, we think you should have put Abraham here instead of Lot. But here we are, Lord. And we're reminded it's not Abraham or Lot, it's you working through Abraham and Lot. So Lord, for all of us here who are Lot's, who have compromised on ethics, Lord, who are not as evangelistic as we ought to be, who perhaps have let our daughters marry people that they shouldn't marry, who perhaps are in places we maybe even shouldn't have been. God, redeem the fact that here's where we are and here's who we are. And by your spirit, would you help us to be a blessing? God, thank you for Ken and Floyd Smith. I don't know them, but here in their story, I just think, how perfect of you, Lord, to put somebody in that place who decided to use kindness and love to lead someone to repentance. Lord, help us to be inspired by that. Encourage us to do the same thing. God, it's not our place to judge the people around us. That's your job. It's our job to show them the love of Jesus. Please make us a blessing, Lord. For we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.